you would remain standing for the reading of God's Word, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to continue our study in Daniel this morning. We'll read the whole chapter. Children in the room, listen out for the, for the beasts and the descriptions uh, that are given here, all very interesting. You adults, you listen too. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in a vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up a great sea. Four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed. The Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was like pure wool, his throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. Ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached One of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. 
But the saints of the Most High shall receive a kingdom and possess a kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron, claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, the other horn which came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth and spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn, was, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. He shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Lord, as we prayed earlier, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we encounter, Lord, a heavenly vision of things that are happening, have happened, and even will happen, would you help us? Would our hearts truly long for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? Be at work, Holy Spirit, shaping us by your grace. Thank you for this great text. Thank you for the Son of Man. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Ralph Davis is really witty. He was one of my professors. I took some classes under him. He, he titles his, he has a commentary on this. Um, he titles his section on Daniel 7, is history all beastly? It's a great question. There's a lot of introductory things to, to think through today. Daniel toys with time and with language in unique ways in all of Scripture. There are only two sections of scripture that contain Aramaic and we're just wrapping one up. We've spent some months trudging through this kind of reality of what it looks like to be an exiled people. What does that mean? I mean you can take the sanitary view and say um, 
you know, that's them, that's those people over there. But I think what we've been invited into through Esther, Daniel, and Revelation over Christmas is the reality that we are exiles. This world is not our home. We too can see that we live lives in exile. So along the way, most of this account, it was introduced in Hebrew, and you're going to have to just track with me for a minute. Then he switches to Aramaic, and now he switches back to Hebrew, and I think what's going on is this. I think he has an official court record that is in the common language of the people of the time, Aramaic. I think when he switches back, it's significant. Pay attention. Daniel 7 is different. Now, he's, we're not reading someone else's mail. We're not just reading a historical account of what happened to Daniel. Now we're reading mail to us, to the people of God, specifically to the exiles who were Jews, taken captive, removed from their home, ripped away from everything that they had, everything that they knew, and we're reading their mail again. It's different. Though the shift is subtle, I believe it's significant. The first six chapters recount this outstanding career of Daniel. Israelite prophet and his three friends under two Babylonian kings. At the the current time, we're going to have to talk about time again here in a minute, but at the current time, Darius, the Persian, He has a long, distinguished career. From here, from the recounting of this career through six chapters, we we then get kind of a whiplash. We go back in time. I recently had a door, a new front door hung. Tom did it. Tom actually found the Tom Kendrick. He found the door. He um, came over to hang the door. And it's significant. It's a really heavy door. And what's real significant about a door is doors can be huge, but they have to be hung on hinges. This has three little hinges. Just little pieces of metal. You can't, really, you can't really see them. I, I see these doors back here. and just The hinges are little, but what do you think a door is worth without the hinge? Not much, I can tell you. It's just a slab of wood set up in the hole of the house. It doesn't function. Here, in Daniel 7, we have hinges. What is the, what is the point of life in exile? What is the point of everything that he's said before and all this crazy imagery that he's going to give us in, in, through chapter 12? Chapter 7 tells us. It's here to give us an answer. This chapter gives us a vision of four great beasts, which we just read about. And it's going to track in history from roughly the 5th century B.C. all the way to the 1st century A.D. and the advent of Christ. And I I say it even has another horizon further out. This vision 
is one of the all-powerful and great King Jesus who rises above all the other kings. And I think some of you need to hear this. Like, Jesus rising above all the other kings and powers of this world, ruling and reigning in, in glory forever, having put his enemies down and conquered. I don't know about you, but this... It's something that I need to hear. I need to be reminded of this. The question hanging over all of Daniel is, is, is this. What will God's people do living in exile? What will God's people do? And I think this is a great question for the modern church. What are we to do living life as exiles? It's a fantastic question. What's happening in the world? Things seem crazy. This is the the major theme that comes up again and again in Esther and Daniel and Revelation is this. God is sovereign over all the kings and kingdoms of this world. We see it again and again and again. And he tools them to do his will, his bidding. If you belong to Christ here today... Be comforted by this text. There's scary stuff that goes on in the rest of Daniel. There's crazy visions. We are meant as the people of God to take comfort. The second half of Daniel opens with a dramatic night vision. God doesn't come to Daniel and wipe away his fear and terror. He comes to tell him truth. The last verse reads, Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Things are going to be bad. He was terrified. Things are going to be awful. These visions leave this old man alarmed and out of sorts. I think looking at these visions from our side of history, they should bring us great comfort and even joy. Before we go on, notice that this is a throwback in time. Last time we read the account of the fall of the Babylonian Empire and the rise of Darius and the Persian Empire. This begins with Belshazzar's um, tenure in Babylon. It was his first year. Maybe two or possibly even three kings removed from Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is a fairly old man at this point, but the beginning of Belshazzar's rather short, I believe, tenure. We saw a couple of weeks back that the queen remembered Daniel, but the king didn't know him. He, he had been an incredible minister, uh, servant, two leaders in Babylon for a long time. And Daniel had done great things. Um, I mean, what must it look like for three young men to walk out of a furnace utterly unharmed? These guys had a reputation. The people of God were well known. But notice, by the time you get to Belshazzar, Daniel is utterly discarded. One thing you might need to remember 
early on, before we even go any further, is this. God is never done with his people. He's never done. Daniel was forgotten by the powers of the world and kind of maybe stuck on a shelf, set to the side. And and maybe I think at some point his heart could have been telling him, God is done with me. Let this be a reminder that God is not done with you. Just because the powers of this world might not consider the reality of who you are doesn't mean that God is done. Today we'll look at the, these visions in four parts. One, the vision of the four beasts. Two, the vision of the ancient of days. Three, the vision of the Son of Man. And lastly, the interpretation of the vision. First, the, these four beasts. And the second chapter of Nebuchadnezzar, we saw this vision. Nebuchadnezzar had this vision of this massive statue. And then Daniel comes along and not only tells him the vision, but then gives him the interpretation. The best way that you can think about Daniel 7 and these visions is to take that big statue and now they're all beasts. Okay, very similar themes. Massive statue, scary, kind of crazy looking face, changing metals. That's what's going on here. It's just... Now it's beasts. I saw in my vision by night, behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and out of the sea comes all these beasts. Sea and the wind are common in this kind of apocalyptic literature, scary, um, crazy scenes. Uh, The wind and the sea are terrifying and here viewed as the realm of the dragon or Satan, Zechariah and Isaiah remind us of this, saying that the sea is like the nations which are constantly, utterly out of control, out of control. You don't ever want to be in the, the sea during a terrible storm. If you're wise, you will fear the sea at storm. And and that that is what is producing these beasts. Psalm 104, he set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. By the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place you appointed them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. Again and again and again in Scripture, the sea and the the wind can be portrayed as hatred to the people of God. We are hated. God's people in exile are hated. Here's our first solid application. I think things in the world can feel utterly out of control. And we need to appreciate and recognize this truth. God is the one who rebukes nature. God is the one who rebukes the storm. God is the one who sends the sea and the wind away. It might feel chaotic to us, even to be shut down by ice for a week. But we have to know, and I think we're being invited by Daniel 7, to know the rea- this reality that God is the one in control. 
As we move from these, where, where these creatures come from, we, we now have a glimpse at them, these fantastic beasts. Beast one, like a lion, and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, and its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. This winged lion is a symbol, and always has been, of Babylon. Very well-known symbol. A great world power. And one that had in its grip the people of God, Israel, Judah. The wings of the lion. So the lion is powerful. Wings make it powerful and fast. Those were clipped. And then it became like a man. Perhaps Nebuchadnezzar, again, the head of this golden statue. This is the first kingdom. All these beasts, these are rising and falling kingdoms. Fantastic beast 2, verse 5. And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear, was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told to rise, devour much flesh. This is another ruler. On the world stage, the Medo-Persian Empire, which came during Daniel's day. We've already seen that. We've spoken of that already. And it had ribs in its mouth. It's snatching up smaller kingdoms. It, it is also very violent. Very violent. Grabbing up smaller prey along its way. Fantastic Beast 3. Like the others, this... Third beast is a leopard described in verse 6. After I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. Again, another kingdom on the rise. This one really fast. This is A leopard is really fast to begin with. Really powerful. It had multiple wings. Likely the rise of Alexander the Great who would in short order, not many years, completely overtake the Persian Empire and control everything from Greece to Egypt. The rule of Alexander would eventually be broken up into smaller empires, more controlled by governors, the fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, these iron teeth and feet that smash everything. And this little horn with eyes like a man that speaks great things that, that comes up out of it. It's, it's terrifying. This last beast symbolizes power and glory. When you, when you hear horns, you, you think of something crazy. Imagine what their minds would have thought, okay? They think rams. Think something more like a ram. And it's powerful and um, at least people who hunt them would say glorious. Or maybe people who just appreciate them. Power and glory. Big, big old horns. Ten of them. Lots of power. Lots of glory. And this thing boasts of great things. It's uh, literally their pompous words. It boasts of great things, literally translated pompous. This little horn is full of pompous words. It, it imitates the glory of God with, with its eyes, 
It wants to, as opposed to the other beasts, this one wants to look like a man. The little horn is an imitation of man, a symbol of man with all his pride set against God. The, we would call him the Antichrist. And this is a figure that we see again and again through Scripture. The Antichrist. The outcome will certainly be conflict with the sovereign God of the universe. Kim Riddlebarger, one of the uh, articles I read by him, said, he says this, Daniel's fourth beast wages war upon the people of God and speaks blasphemous things against God while futilely seeking to defeat the kingdom of his son Jesus. The whole force of the Antichrist is to kill and destroy and get rid of the people of God. And we would call that in our day the church. The reality and scary reality of all all these beasts is, again, I'm just going to say it one more time. The people of God are hated by our enemy, the devil. We're hated by the powers of this world. They would destroy you. They would seek to wreck your life, your relationships, your friendships, your marriages, your kids. We're hated. Again and again and again and again, life in exile looks like the hatred of the world for the people of God. That's what Daniel 7 is saying. I think he puts it here because he's saying, here's what has been happening before. And then he's telling us, here's what's going to happen in the future. You're hated. The leaders of the systems of this world hate us. Where do we turn then? Up to this point, Daniel 7 is not real encouraging. An imitation Christ who hates the church. Where do we turn for help? The text gives two answers in this horrifying vision of the kingdoms of this world which are flying around, destroying and devouring everything inside first, the ancient of days. And as I looked... Verse 9, thrones were placed in the ancients of, ancient of days, took his seat, his clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was like pure wool, on his throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, a stream of fire issued and came out before him, a thousand thousand served him, and on and on. Here's the vision that matters, a heavenly court is open. The God of the universe has taken his seat in judgment against the kingdoms of this world. We are in an election year. Shocker. Everyone gasps. It's not unimportant. Yet the scripture comes to us telling us what is ultimately important. Who really matters? It doesn't get any worse than these kingdoms, these beasts. Who's going to do something about it? Where can we derive comfort? The first place that Daniel takes us, that God takes him and his vision is the ancient of days taking his seat, judging righteously. That's what matters. We think that what we're up to, I often think that what I'm up to matters so great in the world and Daniel breaks in and says, no, God is who matters. 
The Ancient of Days is what matters. The fact that He will judge is what matters. His plans, this, this everlasting God, His plans stretch back in space and time reaching back to eternity past and forward into eternity future. He, he had no beginning. He has no end. And in light of that, all these other guys seem utterly insignificant. These beasts suddenly aren't as scary. How important is this for your life as a follower of Christ? When you're scared and you don't know what's coming next and you feel maybe that the hatred or the, the pushback of the world against your belief in Christ, I'd say this is a vital vision. Yeah, continue to watch the news, continue to be a concerned citizen, continue to be in, engaged in our country and politic life, yet all the while know that the ancients, ancient of days with a garment as white as snow is seated on the throne in judgment. That's what matters. God is perfectly righteous. God is never taken by surprise. God is never undecided. When He takes His seat, it is done. It's done. God reigns. He does what He wants in every realm, heaven above, earth beneath, and the waters under the earth. God can and does speak into the havoc of the world, and ultimately, He has the authority not just over Babylon, Persia, Rome, or the United States, it's all in God's hands. Isaiah 2, 26, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for he brings down those who dwell on high. If you're struggling here, like catch, catch what Daniel is giving us. I know it's crazy, and there's been so much ink spilled over Daniel 7, but it, and it would have scared me if I had had this vision, but on this side of the cross, it should give us incredible comfort. He's saying everything is going to be crazy. Everything is going to be changing, and the people of God are going to be hated, but God sits in heaven. He's alive. He is the judge, the all-powerful one. Child of God, take comfort this morning. We need to be reminded again and again that this power and authority that rules in Beijing or Washington or Moscow is ultimately water in the hands of our God. He does what He wants. Our God shall come, Psalm 50, and shall not be silent. A fire shall devour before Him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around Him, and He he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Our God is a consuming fire. What would it look like for all of us to have this vision of the world around us? I think some, some days I do pretty good at it and some days I do really bad at it. Some days the beasts are just too big. The powers of this world are what really matter to me and other days I... I do a little better at believing that there is a God in heaven who judges all, who rules all, who He sits in judgment. It's, it's His. It's all His. 
story is told of a missionary, Henry Morrison, and his wife. They'd served faithfully for nearly 40 years. I couldn't find all the details, but they, they arrived back into the United States, turn of the century, to New York. There is tremendous fanfare outside of their, um, their boat arriving back. And they think, man, at first, we have not been forgotten. We haven't been forgotten. This is great. Yet he finds out quickly that these crowds are there to see Teddy Roosevelt, who is also on the ship. And there's actually no one there to greet them. Forty years on the mission field. I don't know how long their journey was. It had to be awful. And you think you've arrived home. You think you're remembered. The the accounting of the story, they all have this. But Henry, you're not home yet. Yeah, you're coming back home, but you're not home yet. The belief in... And these world systems over here being what ultimately matters is not true. He's an exile. It doesn't matter if he's in Africa or New York. And so are you. And you're not home yet. What's God's answer to the beasts, the ancient of days, seated on his throne? Don't be alarmed by the politics of this world stage. Don't be surprised as the empires around us rise and fall. The beast is killed and burned and the other beasts lose their dominion, but their lives are prolonged. God is on the throne and the destiny of his enemies is sure. They're still alive and well in this present era. So the destruction of the beast and the kingdoms of this world gives way to another vision, the vision of the Son of Man. Not an imitation, the real thing. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heavens, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. The Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days, seated in judgment, and he receives the right to rule completely. He receives dominion and glory from the Father As opposed to all the beasts that represent the the fallen kingdoms and rulers of this world. The hideous um, nature of them. Like all the ugliness of the the look of them. the, The crazy pictures. And what's needed is an actual person. A human. A man. The Son of Man is able to stand in... The judgment of God and not be destroyed. He is worthy to receive glory in a kingdom. This should make us think back to Adam, the first man. He was given dominion and the command to rule and subdue. And he sinned. He fell from the glory of God. Since that time, mankind and the earth collectively have been marked by groaning under this curse of sin and death. Romans 8 says, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. It's not just the outside world groaning because of the curse, it's you and me. 
The appearance of the Son of Man marks a contrast with every other king and kingdom and every other person. Here we have the perfect Son of Man who brings with him messianic promises. Psalm 2, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Here we have, so if we think about chapter 2 again, Nebuchadnezzar. So you have this giant um, imposing statue. Here in Daniel 7, you have all these beasts and this crazy whirling ocean, right? And in in chapter 2, do you remember how that big statue goes down? A little stone was cut with no human hand. And it was flung at the foot of the statue. And the statue crashes down from its feet and then blows away in the wind. And then that little stone grows to become a mountain which covers the whole earth. Here in Daniel 7, that that little stone is a person. He's he's the son of man, the, the great son of man. He's the little stone that... It looks insignificant. A man? Like a man is going to put all this to right. Jesus refers to himself time and time again. He takes on this identity of Daniel's great son of man. More than 50 times in the New Testament, there's either direct reference or allusion citations of Daniel 7. He's the center of all all power. He looks insignificant. What uh, Ralph Davis says, we unashamedly worship a crucified and risen Jew. You mean a Jewish man was actually the son of God? He lived his life perfectly. He took our place. He, he, he died to pay for our sins. Yes. From our New Testament lesson, when Jesus is teaching his disciples what is to come. He refers to the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. Daniel is giving us a glimpse of the glory of heaven. He sees Jesus ruling over all the kingdoms of the world. What Daniel sees in these visions has now been revealed in person. We're reading about him in our Bibles. The Son of Man isn't just this ethereal reality somewhere in heaven before those courts of God, which are very real, but He came into the world. Daniel is given this glimpse of heaven. And this is how he wins. This is how the little stone conquers. By dying a cursed death. After having lived an utterly righteous life. He was cursed by one of these kingdoms. He was hung on a Roman cross. He rose from the dead having his life and perfection utterly vindicated by the ancient of days. Death could not hold him. Imagine the horror of this vision. Daniel knows what's coming. He knows that these empires are going to rise and fall. He knows that tyrants are going to rule on the earth. He knows that Babylon is going to fall to the Persians, that Persia will fall to the Greeks, that the Greek empire would utterly be overrun by the Romans. He sees it all, but he also sees the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. There's an answer to the chaos that is your life. 
There is an answer to the chaos for persecuted brothers and sisters the world over, whether it be in the United States or in any country where God's people are hurting and persecuted for their faith. The Ancient of Days matters. God has seated himself as righteous, just judge, and he has given his son. So we've seen the the four beasts, the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, lastly the interpretation. David Helm says this, this is great. He says, quote, the interpretation of the visions boils down to this. While ungodly and arrogant kings will continue to succeed one another on the world stage, don't be anxious and alarmed. God will see to it that his people will receive his everlasting kingdom, end quote. Listen, we're going to see things like this happen even though our lifespan in terms of world history is just a speck, okay? But we're still going to see kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. We're going to see the church persecuted. We're going to hear about people dying for their faith. It's going to happen. It may happen to one of us. Does that mean that God has failed? That's the whole point of Daniel 7. No, look to Christ. He has not failed. He has actually won Victory for the people of God is not in any doubt. The little horn comes along, flattering with eyes like a man. Did you notice he's he's this cheap imitation of man? And we're given three ways that these um, antichrists act in the world. They speak pompous words against the Most High. That's one. This is how you can mark, hey, that's antichrist. And I know that there is the coming But listen, the world has always had antichrists. It's not like people being persecuted um, in Sudan who are Christians are are tapping their feet wondering when the, uh, the antichrist is coming. They're like, he lives down the road. He's been trying to kill our family for years. They speak pompous words against the Most High. They persecute the saints of the Most High. And they intend to change times and law. All those are given as descriptions of the little horn and Antichrist. Yes, there's coming one. But there always have been Antichrists. They act in the world now. The interpretation ends like this. The kingdom... That is the kingdom of the Son of Man. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. So again, with all the wreckage of all the the other kingdoms in the world, here's one that is everlasting. And all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So we read... So we read earlier in Matthew, here in Mark 14, Jesus was about to die and he was asked this, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Yeah, I'm the guy. I'm the one. I'm the Son of Man. 
And this, he was, he was going to die. Is, the, is this you, Jesus? And in a rare moment, he said, yeah, that's me. And you're going to see me again. I'm not done. Truly good news. Take hope, child of God. Yes, Daniel was afraid. Apocalypse should be um, fearful for all of us. But for the Christian, we should take great comfort. The Son of Man wins. Not the little horn. Not the beasts of this world. The Son of Man is coming again. Take comfort in Him, child of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Daniel 7, for this great hinge in this, uh, in this book. Lord, may its truth land on our hearts this morning. May we take comfort. Though an apocalypse comes, though a tempest with beasts rising out, hating Your people, hating Israel, hating Your church, may we take comfort, Lord, in You, the Ancient of Days. And the great Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who came for us. Shape us by these things. Mola our imaginations and the ways that we think about our world and lives this week based on these truths. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.